0: 100th episode. How incredible is that? (laughs) I am so pumped and so excited that we've made it thus far. It's been such a fun, creative outlet on this side of the mic and really sharing this podcast with you since you all as listeners are the co-creators and co-producers of the show by calling in with your career conundrums and calling in with your boss moves every week. So I want to thank you for listening, for sharing, for being a part of the Bossed Up community of listeners and of women who lift as we climb. It has been such an honor. This is now the longest I've ever served in any podcasting capacity since I have recently surpassed the amount of time that I was co-hosting the Stuff Mom Never Told You podcast, which makes Bossed Up the bigger podcast contribution that I've made to the world thus far. And it makes me so proud to have an independent production like this one that's grown so much and that has turned into such a huge part of how I do what I do. So thank you for the privilege that it is to be in your earbuds every week. For all of you who subscribe, for all of you who listen loyally, you make a huge impact on my career. That is a privilege and a responsibility that I take seriously. So I hope that I can continue to create shows that are worth listening to, are worth sharing, and that we can all be proud of. Because I absolutely love this work and love this community that Bossed Up has really turned into. So thanks for listening. As my thank you, I'm doing a 100-episode giveaway. So for the next week, you can enter to win a $100 Amazon gift card and a copy of my book, Bossed Up, A Grown Woman's Guide to Getting Your together. Coming out on May 21st, I'll be gifting you a pre-order. So I'll be pre-ordering the book for you and making sure it's coming your way on publication day and sending a $100 Amazon gift card your way instantly too. To enter to win, all you have to do is review the Bossed Up podcast in Apple Podcasts. Make sure that you not only give it A star review, of course, five being the best, but also share your comments. So if you're listening in the iTunes app or in the Apple Podcast app, scroll all the way to the bottom, leave your review by hitting the stars that you see fit, hopefully, you feel like a five-star review makes sense, and then weigh in with your commentary. Once you've done that, just take a screenshot or a snap of your review and share it in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook. I have a thread that I've started in there this morning which is all about the giveaway. It has all the rules of how to enter. And all you have to do is comment on that post in the Bossed Up Courage community showing your review. If you have any trouble submitting it that way, just get in touch with me at Emily at emilyatbossedup.org and I can help you sort it out. But it's as simple as reviewing the podcast in Apple Podcasts or iTunes, same thing, and then sharing your review in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook, which if you haven't joined yet, it really is the best place on Facebook. And I will drop a link to it in the show notes at the tippity top today. So this little giveaway is a token of my deepest appreciation for your loyal listening and for your participation. And as you know, every time you rate and review this podcast, it really does help other people discover it. The algorithms love your comments and loves your reviews. So thanks for weighing in there. And we can spread the bossed up gospel and this whole badass community with even more women who could use it. All right, so for today's special episode, I have decided to produce another episode for you similar to what I did last month with Aaron. Aaron, you might recall, was a member of the Bossed Up community who was struggling with how to ask for a raise from her boss. So instead of just answering her question with an expert interview, I decided to have her on and have a real-time back-and-forth coaching conversation, which is something I haven't done before, but you all responded really strongly to it. (laughs) I don't know if it was the topic or if it was that format that really worked for y'all, but the download numbers on that episode, Courage to Ask for More, which of course I'll link to in the show notes today, we're huge. I mean, a total spike in downloads. So I'm excited to produce another episode following that format today to see if you really like the kind of back and forth model of me providing career advice in real time to the person who's asking about their career conundrum. So today we're tackling a really interesting topic that is specific to this woman's situation. Her name is Suzanne. And she's calling in from Canada with the desire to land a job in Australia. Now, you might think, well, I'm not Canadian and I don't want a job in Australia, which might very well be the case. But for anybody who's looking to land a job in another state, city, or country, This episode is chock full of nuggets of wisdom for you because the things that I make sure Suzanne's thinking about and preparing for her job search overseas are the exact same things that you need to be thinking about if you are trying to land a job in a totally different town, city, state, or yes, country. So without further ado, let's jump right into my conversation with Suzanne, who is a badass member of the Bossed Up podcast community.
1: I think I called in, yeah, and it was almost a year ago. I called initially with wanting help applying for jobs outside of where you're living. Right. And in the past year, things have kind of progressed. I'm still at the job that I'm fine with, but it's not really fueling my fire, I guess, anymore. Sure. And I have always wanted to try living in Australia and doing a working holiday visa or something like that there. But now that I've started my career... I didn't want that to go on hold. I didn't want to just go and have like a, you know, backpacker style job, which are great. Nothing wrong with them. It's just not where I wanted. I didn't want my career to stop progressing. Yeah. And so that's what kind of held me back. But after going to Australia over Christmas, I realized that it's not fully impossible to find a job that's in my career line while on a working holiday visa or while starting on a working holiday visa. And it is really hard. There's other options. There's things I can do to make it so that it's not a full pause on my career right. because of my GIS
0: skills. I think your experience of having established yourself in a career path
1: and craving
0: a change, right? You're craving a location change, preferably to Australia. But as you mentioned, you were you were open and, and looking in other places too, is very relatable. And we shouldn't all have to give up our career paths and go teach English abroad or backpacker style, you know, put our career goals on hold to make that happen. But the only reason there's tension here is that there's definitely compromise. There's absolutely compromise to go from staying in the same job that's not fueling your fire anymore to getting to where you want to go. So first, tell us a little bit about the most valuable skills, the most transferable skills that you feel you've established in your career thus far? Obviously, you care about environmentalism. You care about making an impact and helping our planet and not using your environmental background to help fuel oil and gas companies. Bottom lines. Cool. (laughs) But what are the skills that you think are the most transferable? Tell us a little more about them.
1: So I think that kind of the biggest one would be geographic information systems. So GIS. That was kind of one of the biggest skills I came out of my degree with. I knew that that was kind of a big ticket skill. And that's basically all I've been doing for the past three years is just working with geographic data and processing it and problem solving with it. So being able to work with certain software and problem with certain kinds of data is the kind of number one skill.
0: Yeah, and that is great because anything in science, technology, mathematics, engineering, STEM, any STEM skills that you have established, no no geographic bounds, right? Oftentimes it's mathematics that they call the the language of the world, right? Because it transfers across cultures, across communities, across even language barriers, but here you are in Canada not facing a language barrier issue because you're trying to get to Australia. Although some of my Australian listeners might argue that uh, sometimes we don't speak the same language. (laughs) But this is a really important key point. For folks who want to make a big geographic transition, you have to first get super clear on what makes you a valuable member of the global workforce. What are the limited skills that you have that are transferable in that they are of value to people in another country or in another city, if you're trying to make that kind of a transition. So identifying your GIS skills, huge first step. The next step is to think about what is the ideal audience? Who, in terms of companies, organizations, initiatives, governments, who is interested in that skill set? Do you have any sense of that in, in terms of Australia, your target audience there?
1: No, that's a good question. I would prefer to be using them in a space that is either governmental, public policy, planning would be great with NGOs or kind of nonprofits working in the environmental space using my skills in a surveying capacity or in a planning, research, advocacy kind of platform. But I know that it would be also marketable for businesses. Who are looking to plan to expand, or are working with uh, natural resources, or you know, have things over large areas that are working with that kind of data? Yep, that's not necessarily my biggest goal with those ones, but yeah, it is an option as well. I like that. What
0: you already started to do there was order your desires. So you started with the government. Government would be ideal. I would say that's going to be a hard one because governments usually don't hire foreigners to be serving in government. So that's a good ideal to have in mind, but it's a hard one. So then you said NGOs and nonprofits, and I'm assuming here, correct me if I'm wrong, it's because we have a perfectly valid reason to believe that NGOs and nonprofits might more closely align with your values around environmentalism, right? Yeah. And so those are number two and three. And then come businesses, private sector folks, who you would be willing to work for in this capacity, not the top of the heap, probably because that might get a little more squishy in terms of your values.
1: So I guess I should be more specific when I, I guess, say businesses, because of course there's a range of goals and types of businesses And there's plenty that are doing that kind of more moralistic, ethical, goal-minded work that is in the environmental space, especially startups and things. There's lots out there. Totally. Things that just, yeah, just having a profit does not necessarily make it (laughs) out of my categories, I guess.
0: You're speaking to a very progressive capitalist here, so I'm glad to hear you acknowledge that. But yes, (laughs) I'm sure we've got folks on all ends of the political spectrum who would agree and disagree with that. But yeah, yeah, I agree. I think in terms of making your target list, if I were... Really getting clear first on what makes me a valuable candidate across the globe, across cities, across continents, even. And then, second of all, start really figuring out what are the fields, what are the industries, what are the associations that might have embedded within them a valuable list of Australian companies that are looking for that kind of talent. When Brad and I were strategizing to get him a job out here in Denver, Granted, a much smaller leap from DC to Denver than from Calgary to Australia, but we took a comparable approach by first saying, okay, what are the kinds of companies that exist in the Denver metro area? And let's just do as much research as possible to make a hit list. And honestly, it's hard to start when you don't have an existing network and you traveled there this past holiday season, which is great. But also there's plenty that Google can serve up for you. And we made a hit list. And when we did have the opportunity to come to Denver a few months later, really for the sole purpose of putting feelers out there into the job market for Brad, he went to 20 or so offices in the span of, two and a half days and had coffees and basically drive by meet and greets with as many people as he could possibly get to open his emails and agree to have them over. And so wow. I highly recommend like looking at organizations and associations, including industry associations, like the Australian National Association of Climate Scientists or whatever it is that you might be able to find Mm -hmm. through Google, start to figure out who's associated with these, what companies and what NGOs and what nonprofits are names on that list and make yourself a big old Excel spreadsheet and start seeing who you can get to answer an email, plain and simple, a cold call from across the world.
1: That's a great idea and a great way to, yeah, I feel like sometimes it's just like swimming blind with these things and that's such an easy way to categorize it. Yeah.
0: Makes so much sense. Well, here's the problem. And I just ran into this when I started planning my book tour. Something as massive as a career shift in this way can feel so overwhelming that you don't know where to begin And then it just becomes this amorphous ball of anxiety (laughs) that like kind of leaves you feeling like I should be doing something, but I'm not sure what I should be doing until like two weeks ago when I figured out how I'm going to take my first little baby step to planning my book tour, which in part required enlisting the help of the Bossed Up community and asking for help. I was feeling that generalized anxiety feeling that is so unpleasant. Honestly, sometimes just making a list, like having a targeted list of organizations is a great way to start with any job search that is taking you to a different place. But the next thing I was going to ask you about is really thinking about networking. It's such a amorphous catch-all term. But once you start doing your due diligence and doing a little bit of research and getting a list together... Do you have any contacts in Australia writ large, the country as it currently exists?
1: Yeah, so I did send a message to my friend's sister last week. She is actually just moving back to Canada after spending the last, I think, eight years living in Melbourne. Wow. Yeah. And she's got her PhD. She was doing her PhD down in Melbourne. She's a urban planner, works in like studies urban planning issues and amazing. Of course, like had lots of connections at the university down there in, you know, a geographic yeah. space.
0: That is huge. So what did you ask her when you emailed her?
1: So I asked her, I said that I noticed that she was back in Canada, asking if she was, and told her that I was really enjoying kind of following her career from afar. And I was wondering if I could ask her some advice. Yeah. Drive out to Kenmore and, and buy her a coffee.
0: Brilliant. I'm so glad. <laughs> Clearly you've been listening to this podcast because that is exactly what I would advise because... It's different if you have a phone call. Phone calls are not bad if you can't swing it, but this sounds very much worth the drive. So I recently had this great meeting with a Bossed Up community member named Sarah, who has this awesome career blog called The Juggle. And she noticed, because she follows me on Instagram, that I was gonna be speaking at the SMPS Southern Regional Conference as their closing keynote in San Antonio, she drops me an email. I think it was actually a DM originally via Instagram, saying I'm in Austin, but I would love to come up and and have dinner with you if your schedule allows, or have lunch with you. And that is such a smart ask because Sarah and I covered such a wide variety of topics. We were sort of able to exchange so much more information over a meal and Amiel turned into a drink it turned into like she drove me back to my hotel too like we had a long conversation it was awesome and we were just really getting along but the possibility of that happening over the phone is much less right so i always recommend trying to even if it takes a 2 hour round trip drive you will get so much value out of a conversation like that because you never Know who that person knows and who she's met over the last eight years in Australia that can lead you to a foot in the door. It's really interesting, like the point is you never know whose sister, cousin, auntie, friend, whoever knows something. And so I would also encourage you to tap into what I call grass tops, not just grassroots, because you've you've got a friend who's got a sister. I would also think about university alliances. So are there any Calgary to Australia connections you can tap into? Even the Bossed Up community is kind of like tapping into a grass top because what you're really looking for is someone who can connect you to a whole listserv of people, right? Yeah. When I was just starting Bossed Up, I was looking to get in touch with cognitive scientists who studied behavior change. And that's why we have the whole planner right now, is because I emailed my old cog sci professor and he said, You need to ask this listserv which is full of people who focus on like free will and behavior change. And I sent out a cold email to a listserv. And that is how Anastasia, my longtime advisor and Bossed Up board member and I found each other. So I would encourage you to look for grass tops, go to the Bossed Up Courage community and say who in here is from Australia, who in here has worked in advocacy around geographic advocacy or environmental advocacy and see how you can weasel your way (laughs) to a connection as well.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and I'm glad that it's really validating because that's something I had been thinking about doing because, you know, I'm aware that if I did get the working holiday visa in order to get a second year or a third year for Canadians now, you have to have done three months of farm work or regional work. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm aware of that, like if I could get sponsored and not have to worry about the working holiday visa, then that's great, but I've got to plan ahead. And there's this, one of the kind of first really big teachers of permaculture theory and practice is based out of Australia. And I'm fascinated by permaculture. And I think that if I had to do some farm work, that wouldn't be the worst thing. It's something i was yeah. kind of interested in, in school. And that if I'm going to have to do it, that I should reach out to him I looked yes. at his website and it was, you know, on the careers page, it was literally just saying, Hey, I don't really have anything, but send us an email and we'd love to talk. And so I think that that's something that I would definitely want to do before heading down there to, yeah, you know, even if I couldn't work for him, that like, he would probably have a connection of a lot to yes. different, you know, organic and permaculture type farms that might have opportunities.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Academics, you never know like who can actually help open a door because academics themselves often don't make the hiring and firing decisions and fellowships and all those things like grants. And there's just a lot of bureaucracy in the higher education, but it can be done. It's Mm -hmm. absolutely a path forward to getting a visa, like you said, which I want to talk more about in a moment. But one other thing to consider when you're emailing professors or researchers, first of all, They love to hear from their fans. So if you are a fan of anyone's like wonky academic research, you better send them some fan mail because they love that shit. These are not pop scientists, right? Like they want to know that their work is being read in the world. And so you'd be surprised how much of a response you might get. And -hmm. then second of all, consider asking for fellowships because, and I don't know how this would play out in the, in terms of visas internationally, but fellowships are often easier for people to commit to because it's a short-term single chunk of money. They're not trying to advocate for you to get a salary, which is a lot harder to get because that's an ongoing commitment. They can't fire you unless you've done something terrible. It's a bigger hurdle bureaucratically to get approved on the budget. So Mm -hmm. sometimes academic fellowships or internships that are paid are easier for getting your foot in the door. But let's talk about... Visas for a moment. Clearly, you've done your research. That's absolutely essential to figuring out how to get a job in a new place if you're traveling internationally. <laughs> so, what does that look like here? Tell us the difference between a working holiday visa. And of course, to anyone listening, do your own homework because the laws between countries are different a lot of the times, especially in this very nationalistic, rising climate that we find ourselves in globally right now. And this podcast will hopefully be dated in a year when we hopefully aren't heading in these like closed borders types conversations anymore. But what is the working holiday visa option look like? And what is getting sponsored look like?
1: So for working holiday visas, it's open to people from a lot of countries, not all, but Canada, US, UK kind of thing for people under the age of 31. So if you're under the age of 31, you can get a working holiday visa, and they're done a year at a time. And some countries have an option to extend for a second or third year, but that's with having done the regional or farm work.
0: How interesting. I didn't know that was a thing. Let's spread that news far
1: and wide. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But they they very much regulate it so that they want you to do holiday-type jobs. So uh, there's restrictions on it. Got so it. the thing is that you have to, you can't have like a permanent position right. somewhere and you can't work somewhere longer than six months, I believe.
0: Oh, so it is like for people doing like a gap year work study, yeah. play study, you know, like, yeah. Okay. Interesting.
1: Exactly. So from what I've heard from friends is that, and some of the research that I've done on YouTube and things is that lots of times people, if they find a more permanent career-type job, they will kind of work the probationary period. And if they kind of have this agreement with the employer from the get-go, they'll hire them for the probationary period on the working holiday visa. And then after about three months or however long that probationary period, then they start the process of getting them applied for, I think there's two different kinds of visas. One gives you a path to... Apply for permanent residency and the other doesn't. Right. But there's some more weedsy stuff on those. Yeah. But then yeah, that's how a lot of people get those visas.
0: And from what I understand, getting sponsored by a company is in some ways a little bit cumbersome for the company themselves, in Mm -hmm. that they need to say, Hey, we looked for talent in our own country first but we really need her to move here from Calgary. (laughs) So that's like you need an organization that really wants you or a person within an organization with whom you've built some goodwill. It can be challenging to land that kind of a relationship from afar, which gives me and you, it sounds like, good reason to think you might be better off going and figuring it out once you're there. (laughs) Is that correct? Is that fair?
1: Yeah. And I think that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and my loose plan in my mind was that yeah, I'd go and I you know, I'd do a bit of the traveling first and, and maybe even try to do that farm work right away because then A, I'd save up a bit of money yep. and have more security in that sense. And B, then if I did get that get a good job they wouldn't be afraid of me leave, having to leave right away to be able to go do farm work so I can stay in the country. I see. So I think that that's like a nice relief for them if it's like, oh, you've already done it. You're eligible for that second year already. Yeah. If things don't work out or if things like, if things are slow on their visa or whatever. Yeah,
0: totally. I think that's a solid plan. It sounds nerve wracking, right? Because that's a big risk that you're taking on. Yeah. But here's what I would argue. And this is where just the reality, of compromise comes into play here is that the more preparation you can do now, the more advanced networking and relationship building you can do from afar, the faster your pathway to a job that fuels you that fires you up in the place that fuels you and fires you up that you wanna get to, the more quickly that path becomes visible. Because at the end of the day, with deadlines related to visas, with being across the world, right? There are gonna be pluses and deltas, right? Things that are great and things that have to change to be better. And so accepting the inevitability of compromise might look like okay I've got this list of dream organizations that I'd love to work for but right now I can just get a job working here in the place I want to be and I can justify settling for that as part of my longer term plan mm-hmm. so I'd ask yourself to think really critically what are the compromises you'd be willing to make to get your butt to Australia and get and not compromise your entire career path of course but you know how much time would you be willing to give yourself to place those bets?
1: That's a good question. I mean, the impatient side of me wants to be like, okay, I'm going to, I want to get there by June. But the realistic part of me knows that like, that seems hard, A, for saving money and, you know, B, just for getting all the logistics sorted, then Yeah, rushing it doesn't help me necessarily. So I think that like within a year would be great. Yeah. I would like that. And I also, you know, I've, dabbled with the idea of like one compromise that could be made is developing some skills and some networks to be doing GIS work freelance. Yep. Just so I'm like, still have some GIS work on my resume and there's no break to it. And if I need to, you know, if there are money as well as, you know, just keeping those options open.
0: I think that's a great idea. So just have those option Bs handy mentally because there's no failure in taking a step back to take your next step forward, right? Like what we're talking about is making a big change for lifestyle reasons, right? It's not like you need to get the hell out of your job right now, but you wanna change your lifestyle and more power to you because that is worth your effort, but if it means taking a lateral move, taking a slightly backwards move on your career path, don't freak out and beat yourself up about that because it's part of your plan. You can accept an amount of compromise built in to your longer term strategy. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. And I think that that ties in with some of the compromises that I like already do kind of have to make on a day-to-day basis just with some of my health issues. I know that I need to set myself up for success. Yes. Otherwise I could, you know, have exacerbate my symptoms or put myself in a worse situation that I don't want to just jump into anything or crush it. Or, you know, expect that I'm going to get all of these things with no drawbacks because right. I've had that experience. I've gotten myself into sticky situations as I've learned to cope with my mental health.
0: Right. Let's talk more about that because I'm so glad you brought that up. It's such a big piece of this puzzle, right? We're all striving for like career promotion, really, for lack of a better word, right? You want to keep your career moving. You want to head to Australia because it'll improve your lifestyle and it it gets you out of Calgary. No offense to Calgary, right? But like new scenery, yay. But then we're talking a little bit about finances throughout this conversation and then importantly, health. So what are some of the concerns you have when it comes to your mental health about making this big transition?
1: So, I mean, I'm smart enough to know by now that I've traveled with depression enough times to know that just because I'm in a new place doesn't mean that all my problems are solved. Yeah. Wherever you go, there you are. So I know that going somewhere new could, it's a shock system a bit. You're out of your comfort zone. So I know that that could add more stress yeah. and cause my symptoms to be worse. Mm-hmm. I know that I am going somewhere where I don't really have that support system. I can't just call my mom up and have her go pick up my medication when I don't want to leave my bed. Yeah. And I don't have people around that I can be like, "Yo, I'm having a really bad day. Can you tell me that you think I'm great for a second yeah. Like I do, but, you know, thousands of miles away.
0: Right. Totally.
1: I also know that I mean, I'm very privileged in Canada to have access to good healthcare professionals for free and that, you know, I've I've gotten, you know, good access and Going to a new country and navigating a new healthcare system, needing to figure out insurance. And insurance, of course, it's harder to get when you have yeah. pre existing conditions because they make you fill out all of the details of everything and every doctor you've seen since the moment you left your mother's womb. <laughs> so, you know, those things are really big barriers yes. and really intimidating. And so I want to make sure that I am not rushing and that I have, mm. you know, those things pre planned out and that I don't want to go and not have healthcare and Mm -mm. be really stressed out Mm -hmm. and not, you know, have a resource network to be able to tap into.
0: I think it's fair to say that this is going to be a stressful transition already. So Mm -hmm. going in with your health, feeling in a place of pretty good homeostasis and feeling like you know what your options are, you know what your resources are, you know that you'll have access to the kind of care you need to handle and whether this undoubtedly predictably stressful transition is so key. We did a great episode with Dr. Monica O'Neill about mental health conversations at work that I'll link to in today's show notes too. But something to really think about when it comes to changing your whole scenery, as you've alluded to with a location change, it goes back to what I remember being briefed on when I studied abroad. I studied abroad in London 12 years ago now in 2007. And I loved every second of it. Actually, I can't say that, though, because it wasn't every second that was rainbows and butterflies. Culture shock, even in the English-speaking world, is a very real thing. Even when your mental health is relatively in check, it can be a doozy. And I remember distinctly seeing a lot of my peers and myself who had struggled with relatively dormant mental health issues go abroad, and all of a sudden they become very exaggerated. So I know a lot of folks who I think the regular college experience is to dabble in eating disorders, <laughs> for not to cheapen the seriousness of it, because obviously eating disorders are a very serious deal. But to me, it felt like everyone had a mild or not so mild eating disorder in college. And when we all went abroad, those things became real problems for a lot of us. So The culture shock phenomenon in and of itself, one of its byproducts is exaggerating a lot of what can already be a challenge. And when it comes to maintaining day-to-day mental health. So it's kind of like saving up your emergency fund. I feel like being in the best fitness mentally before making a big change is a real part of this process. So drawing upon your patience is going to be really important on that front too.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so that's something like I've talked to my doctor about and I've said, Hey, you know, I want to do this, but I don't want to go and set myself up for failure. It's one of those things that's definitely on my mind. And it's hard to tell at this point in my life how much of my my depression and my mood issues are being unhappy with where I'm at. Yeah. In the job that I'm in. Right. And, it's, you know, it's fine, but it's nothing great. And it's, you know, the longer that you know you just stay in a job that's just meh, is you know that's you know takes a toll. But then it's okay. Well, I got to do the other things to help my mood and try to you know create a lifestyle that will make me feel more like I can thrive. Yeah. But of course, I know that just moving somewhere doesn't fix anything. It you know might fix one or two things.
0: <laughs> I see your point, though. It is a bit of a catch twenty two because maybe what you're saying is that me saying to be you know, in the best mental health of your life before you make this big change is a really impossible standard, you know, especially if making the change is part of what's going to fuel your progress in your life. And that feeling of forward momentum, which is inherently motivating and uplifting in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. Like I I think it is and it isn't right. I mean, I think that, yeah, I can't change some things right now, but changing all the things that I can is important. I'm like, and I, yeah, that was something as soon as I got back from Australia and Made an appointment with my doctor because I was like, okay, yeah, I need to get this sorted because it's been a long time of just being very kind of average yeah. in my health and even dipping down to not great. Right. And so just kind of saying, look, like I'm sick of just waiting to feel good. Yes. What I want to do is get me to feel as good as I possibly can. And then I want to get the heck out of here. I'd love my home, but you know, get the heck out of yeah. here and go somewhere new. So we made a plan with that of, yeah getting back in therapy and really figuring out my good. and just getting that as good as we
0: can. Yeah. I think that's exactly the answer because just like making a plan for your job search, you've got to have a plan on lock for your health and for your savings for that matter. So it's sort of like taking a very holistic approach, which is something I care a lot about, obviously, but taking a really holistic approach to your career transition and thinking, how can I make this big shift without compromising my mental health or with a plan in place for maintaining my mental health and maybe i wonder if you could maintain kind of like you were talking about that freelance work from abroad maybe you could maintain some kind of relationship with your therapist from abroad and have that cash reserve part of your savings plan to pay out of pocket you know if you're going to lose your health care but you don't want to sacrifice your mental health or risk being without support when you're abroad maybe part of your savings plan is two months worth of therapy saved up for private practice done via Skype, (laughs)
1: right? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I actually hadn't really thought about that, but that's really smart because then it's not having to get to know a new therapist. You still have the stability of someone that knows you and you've got a relationship with.
0: My big philosophy is try not to change too many variables at once. If you're changing your location, don't change your industry if you can avoid it. If you're changing your city and you can stay with the same company, do that. And then figure out if you want to get out of that company. And for me, when I went from Rhode Island to D.C., I maintained my same therapist relationship and I was like, I don't need this. I'm not like my therapist suggested it, and I was like, I'm going to be fine. Everything's going to be fixed in my new town. And then it very much was not. <laughs> and all the problems with my toxic relationships continued. And I remember having a phone consultation with her. So grateful that I had maintained that financial commitment and the commitment of simply showing up for your own mental health. When I went through the same cycle of dating, basically an addict, except this time, instead of spending like two and a half, three years of my life in that miserable situation, it was more like two weeks. And my therapist was like, congratulations. You just saved yourself a lot. You're learning. And I was like, damn, I'm glad I have you. Yes, there you go. Even when I didn't think I needed her. So yeah, I would definitely make your own personal insurance plan of having that relationship enabled for continuation when you make mm-hmm. a big transition. That's yeah. a really important takeaway for anyone who's making a big career transition from one place to another Too lock some variables down. So what do you feel like are your next steps? We've got making a list, doing your homework research-wise in terms of organizations and associations, expanding your networking. What else has to happen between now and June or the end of the year to get you to Australia?
1: Definitely saving some money. Yeah. The Australian government, if you're going on a working holiday, asks for you to have a minimum of five thousand Australian dollars. But do they ask you to prove that? They do, but it's like intermittently. They don't ask everyone, but if they ask you, you have to be able to show it or they won't. Dang.
0: Yeah. That's interesting.
1: So yeah, so I would like to save up at least that, but I think that more would be better unless I really had a good farming job locked down to go to right away yeah, and like planning life logistics, too, I guess, because I yeah. you know, I've got not a lot of stuff, but I got my car. I got all these things that it would be a little rude to just dump on my mom. and I'm to figure out how to deal with all of that. And, <gasps> yeah, what I guess what I want my life to look like and what I would need to bring, yeah, in a space like that,
0: yeah. So it's so funny you should mention, like how to put all of your life on hold in one country before you go on this grand adventure because, That was actually one of the initial chapters in this great book I read this fall called A Year Off by Alexandra and David Brown, which for anyone who has international wanderlust, highly recommend. It was a super easy, quick read. And it was so cute because they co wrote it, and it's a love story too, and it's very real. But they start by saying, How on earth do you save for a year off of traveling? How on earth do you put your life on hold for a year? And I'm assuming you'll be gone for more than a year, but. That's like the minimum from what you probably be out and about in Australia. So their advice on how to make sure all your bills are being paid or that your mail is being picked up by somebody (laughs) without dumping it all on your mom, super helpful advice in there. I'll drop a link to the book in the show notes too. The only other thing I would add to your job search to-do list, if we're thinking like holistically here, which I love that we've covered... You know, health, finances, and the job piece here is if you can get building actual real relationships with practitioners in your industry in Australia, that's like the golden standard. We all know that sending emails into the ether, or I should say, sending job applications into the ether doesn't work. And if it doesn't work domestically, it sure as hell is not going to work internationally. That guy you mentioned whose research you like, double down on those kinds of people. Find who he reads. You know, LinkedIn stalk everybody you can find who's associated with the organizations that you add to your hit list and truly reach out to them well before you leave to try to build some rapport and have them think of you as someone who is in the space. Talk to them like a peer, even if you're not peers, And really start networking and building relationships from afar that you can cash in on by meeting them for the first time when you get there.
1: No, that sounds like a great idea. And that's a very actionable plan, too, to feel Like I'm actually getting stuff done rather than just spinning my wheels waiting.
0: And the whole concept that you have to have a clear ask, don't let that hold you back in this case, because most people don't reach out until you have a clear ask. And this is part of my book tour conundrum. I'm like, I don't exactly know what I'm asking these people to do. And I just, I know her, she lives in Chicago. I think she's cool. I should email her. Right. And sometimes just getting on the phone and saying, Hey, I'm really into what you're doing. Here's my ultimate plan. But what do you think? Just getting their take is perfectly fine at this stage in the game. And just letting them know what you're up to and what you're interested in and what you're looking to do, that's a perfectly fine way to begin establishing some rapport. You might have a clear ask for them later on. Or the ask might be as simple as, can you keep your ear to the ground for me if you know of a company who's hiring someone like me, who's looking for something like what I've got. But those relationships, even built through emails and Skype, can be huge advantages when you get on the ground there.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely think I will do that.
0: You don't have any plans to go back to Australia for a quick visit before you make this big move, do you?
1: Probably not. No, I feel like if I'm going to buy another plane ticket to Australia, I should make it the one.
0: Yeah, the one-way one.
1: (laughs) The one-way one, yeah.
0: I love it. No, if it were closer, if it were anywhere closer, I would recommend going in person, showing up. Mm -hmm. But this one, I think it can be done without that. It's part of the strategy that I map out in the pregame, your career change course, the email-based course that I offer that basically lists out, here's exactly what i used brad to be my guinea pig for for getting a job in a new place it's not Mm -hmm. very easy but it's manageable if you break it into steps and that first step is making your target list of companies and organizations and industry folks second step is sending out emails trying to build rapport from afar and then the third step let's say you get the working holiday visa. you're farming so what? You're there, right? You are in the vicinity. <laughs> That's when it comes time to do the next step of the pregame course, which is to pay those folks a visit, right? Turn that relationship built online into a relationship you're establishing over a coffee or a, a meal and bring your resume. And those relationships built in person eventually turn into job offers if you stay diligent about it. And you've got the skills, You've already done that first part, which is the hardest, is establishing your international marketability. So kudos on, on that front. Yay. <laughs> it sounds like you've got a lot on lock. I'm not going to say this is easy, but it sounds very doable. And I'm looking at the map behind you thinking like, yeah. hey, you're not that far from that pink <laughs> continent right there. <laughs> I'm not. No. <laughs> and now it's time for this week's Boss Move Moment of the Week.
1: My is Alexis. I'm calling from
0: Boone, North Carolina. And my bossed up move of 2018 is graduating college a semester early, finishing with a 392 GPA, and getting accepted to a doctor of physical therapy program. Woo-hoo, boss, we are cheering you on, and I am so grateful for you calling in to share your come-up story. You really never know who you're inspiring when you share the badass things that you're pursuing in your career. So if you've got a boss move to share or a career conundrum that you want me to tackle on an upcoming episode, give the Boss Up hotline a ring right now at 910-668-BOSS, or six. 26- That's 910-668-BOSS, or 2677. And now I want to hear from you, boss. What did you think about today's conversation with Suzanne? What pieces of advice are you going to take from today's episode and apply it to your career transition or your job search? And do you know someone who is currently struggling to get organized on their intercontinental or (laughs) interstate job search? do me and them a favor right now and share this podcast with them far and wide. If you found today's conversation helpful, I'm sure it can help those friends of ours out there who have yet to stumble upon the Bust Up podcast themselves. And I so, so, so appreciate whenever you take a moment of your time to share this podcast. It's truly the best compliment you can pay me in the highest form of flattery. And on that very same note, I want to give a huge shout out to the Bossed Up Book Tour street team. The street team and I had our first call last week, and it was so inspiring to chat with women from all over the country and in Canada. Shout out to my Canadian listeners who are helping organize events and raise awareness of the Bossed Up book. If you haven't pre-ordered your copy yet, make sure you do so today at the link in today's show notes because the Bossed up book is gaining a lot of momentum as we gear up for my book tour this spring. And keep an eye out soon because I will have more events and dates and places to announce as to where you can meet up with me IRL and have a signed copy of the book in your hands soon after publication day on May 21st. But make sure to pre-order yours now if you really want to get your hands on this book, which is chock full of research-based advice and real stories from women in this very community who have navigated the challenging choppy waters of beating burnout and seeing yourself as the boss of your own career trajectory and then taking big risks with the kind of resilience that it takes to see our goals through even when they're long and complicated. (laughs) The book is practical, it's actionable, but it's also full of real stories from real women and behind the scenes stories that you've never heard me tell about my journey to starting and growing Bossed Up into the community that it is today. So thank you to all of you who have already pre-ordered your copy. If you want to learn more about it and snag your copy now, make sure to pre-order your copy in the link in today's show notes. Thanks, as always, for listening. Let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose, and together we'll lift as we climb. Let's face it. Speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow speak up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent And and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most will actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org slash speakup. That's bossedup.org slash speakup.